Brown Girl Radiance celebrates the brilliance of women of color through reflective conversations and stories. I'm your host, Pure Brown Joy. Hello to all of my radiant friends. Welcome back to our Brown Girls Abroad celebration. Before I share this next interview, I want to reflect on this past month. First, I hope everyone had a nice Thanksgiving, even if your plans had to be modified this year. We have so much to be thankful for, and it goes beyond the holiday. We can operate from a posture of gratitude every day. We're still alive. Though we're living through a pandemic, we're still breathing, even though it might be behind a mask sometimes, we're still here. If you're listening to this podcast right now, that means that you have access to an electronic device and internet, which is a blessing in our modern society. Psalm 136 verses 1 through 4 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. His faithful love endures forever. If you read the entirety of Psalm 136, every statement that is made is then affirmed with the phrase, His faithful love endures forever. So no matter what has happened this year and what uncertainty you might be facing, remember, His faithful love endures forever. I'm speaking from a place of testimony as I'm still believing God for so many promises and I've certainly faced my own challenges this year, which I will share in the future. But in the meantime, I'm going to allow the Lord to continue writing my story. November is my favorite month because it's my birthday month. I'm always anchored in reflection and gratitude and I like to celebrate the entire month. On my actual birthday, which is November 6th, I went to dinner with some of my close friends at one of my favorite restaurants, and we had the patio all to ourselves. So it was a COVID safe experience. The next day, a few of us went bike riding, and then the following weekend, I went to the beach with one of my best friends. Also, my family blessed me with a photo shoot from a really dope black female photographer named Kayla L. Smith, who is an example of Brown Girl Radiance. My birthday week also happens to be election week. Americans were captivated by the Electoral College map for five days as we listened to the commentators predictions for which states Joe Biden would win. This monumental election delivered historical results, including the first black female vice president, Kamala Harris, 
who is an HBCU alumni. She graduated from Howard University and we celebrate all of our HBCUs because they are a reflection of black excellence. I also want to acknowledge the black women who paved the way for this moment. Shirley Chisholm was the first African-American woman to run for president. And she was also the first black woman elected to Congress. The first African-American woman elected to the Senate was Carol Mosley Braun. So as we celebrate Kamala, remember the women who came before her as well. Speaking of black excellence and barrier breakers, I want to make sure to acknowledge one of the MVPs of this election season, Stacey Abrams. In 2018, she started an organization called Fair Fight to dismantle voter suppression in Georgia and beyond. I know there were countless others who helped her, but there's no denying her impact and contributions being at the forefront of registering voters in record numbers and holding the state's leadership accountable to make sure that every vote was counted. And ultimately, they were able to flip the state. Stacy is such a brilliant Black woman, and I just love listening to her on any interview. Who knows, maybe one day she'll be on Brown Girl Radiance podcast. The last thing that I want to highlight about this month is a beautiful new Christmas movie on Netflix called Jingle Jangle. It's a magical display of Black excellence. The cast features some of our beloved favorites like Felicia Rashad, Anika Noni Rose, and Forrest Whitaker. John Legend actually produced the soundtrack and all of the music is beautiful, glorious, amazing. The costumes were gorgeous. It's just the little piece of holiday joy that we needed this season. By the way, can y'all believe it's almost Christmas? We've almost made it through 2020. Tell me what you are looking forward to in 2021. Send me an email at browngirlradiancepodcast at gmail.com or message me on Instagram at browngirlradiancepodcast. And I might give you a shout out in the future. All right. So now that I've caught you up on all of the excitement of this past month, I'm ready to take you on our next Brown Girls Abroad adventure. We're traveling to Ireland to chat with Erica Jones, who is a finance manager She has some incredible insights and great stories. Enjoy. Anyone who knows me knows that I love my alma mater, the number one HBCU, Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University, a.k.a. FAMU. Naturally, I love all of my fellow FAMU Rattlers. And my next guest is not only 
a fellow alum of the illustrious School of Business and Industry MBA program at FAMU, but she is also a fellow Tennessean raised in Nashville, Tennessee. Growing up, our moms were co-workers and friends, and we went to the same high school, Hume Fogg Academic Magnet, which is actually a historic landmark, and our high school was located inside a castle. Since we are both from Nashville, there were definitely a few times that I caught a ride home from FAMU with my next guest. So as you can see, we have known each other for a long time. And it is my honor to celebrate another brown girl abroad and a brilliant black woman who is a finance manager living in Ireland. Erica Jones, welcome to Brown Girl Radiance Podcast. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here today. Me too. I know, I think we're going to have a lot of fun. So before we hop into our official conversation, can you just share a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. I think you really touched on a lot of that in your intro. Um, but as you mentioned, we went to Hume Fogg, and it's always important to mention that this is probably the best school in Tennessee and academic magnet, you know, just to toot our own horns. Uh, but, <laughs> but I knew that I, in trying to figure out where I wanted to go to college, it was between UT, so University of Tennessee and Knoxville. But then I went up there and thought that I would disappear. It was a lot of orange and white. There was middle Tennessee state university that would have me close to home, uh, I looked at Spelman, but for whatever reason, I decided I didn't want to go to school or to a school that didn't have air conditioning because I toured in the summertime. And then I think I decided that FAMU, so Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University, was the choice for me. Uh, my parents had gone to an HBCU. They went to Tuskegee. That's where they met. So growing up, I was pretty immersed in that HBCU experience. So I knew that's where I wanted to go. And they had this world-renowned, top-of-the-line school of business and industry where not only would you be going to classes, but during your summers and even sometimes during the school year, you would have the opportunity to do internships, and their success rate of people graduating with really good jobs was quite high. So I figured that's where I wanted to go. So went to FAM in Tallahassee, Florida, and loved the experience. I would say it was probably one of the best experiences that I've ever had in my life. Um, the majority of the people I met freshman year are still my friends to this day. Uh, we're still connected. We take trips together. So the bond that you get from an HBCU and not even just the one you attend, but the network of HBCUs coming together, I would have to say you can't compare to anything else. And I think when we talk a little bit about myself and, and my background going to an HBCU is 
what prepared me to do a lot of the things that um, I did in life. Uh, so while I was at FAM, one of my internships was with uh, a paper company in, in Memphis, Tennessee, and it was in procurement. And I never really thought about procurement. I think a lot of times people don't think about purchasing or procurement, but you know, if companies need to get goods and services to make the things that they're going to sell, so you're going to buy. And it's an interesting function because, and it usually sits in finance or operations or supply chain, because you're constantly having to interact with people. You're talking to suppliers and vendors um, to negotiate prices. You're talking to um, technologists or your tech people to understand the specs so that you know what you want to go out and buy. You're talking to marketing because they're coming up with these visions and sell points. And so the ingredients or materials that you purchase need to be at a certain point. And what I found with procurement is that you get to see all aspects of the organization. To me, procurement is probably one of the hearts or it's the heart, not hearts. It's the heart of the organization because you touch so many different groups and you work on so many projects and I really, really liked procurement. And I said, okay, so I'm kind of at the end. I want to go to the beginning to see how things are made. So after I graduated, I took a job that put me in the Northeast. So I was with Nestle and I was in a rotational program where I learned everything from start to finish. So I learned about union environments. Um, so doing the HR for union environments, the logistics, the production, safety, quality. So seeing how we're taking that raw ingredient and making that finished product. And what I learned about that is I like knowing how stuff is done, you know, the, the nuts and, bol- the nuts and bolts, but I don't want to be in manufacturing and production because those are late nights, weekends, no holidays off. When everyone is taking the time off, you are working to make sure the things are getting on the shelf so that people can buy. So I figured that wasn't what I necessarily wanted to do. I I wanted to get more to the finished product and not the true raw ingredient. So then I went to the land of soup in New Jersey. So that again was in supply chain. So I was a supply chain specialist, but it was more on the end product side where I was working on promotions with our large customers. So that would be a Walmart or a Kroger or a Safeway. And doing that, I I made that complete 360 and I ended up in procurement buying things such as salt and chemicals, beans, and uh, buying beans was super interesting. I used to love buying beans and then seafood and beef. And then beef took me from New Jersey to South Florida, where I worked for a really large um, fast food restaurant chain. Uh, and I got the opportunity to 
get an understanding of how the franchisee environment works. So I had gone from, you know, paper to CPG to the franchisee environment. And that was a bit differently because before everything I was doing was directly for the company. Uh, in a franchisee space, it's not your budget. You're trying to negotiate on behalf of people who may or may not think that they need you because they can do it better than you can, their perception. So you're constantly having to prove your value in that situation. And I was working on markets outside of the U.S. So it was very interesting just from a food perspective, learning what different companies and or different countries consider as food and safe to eat and what can be in food. So for instance, in Ireland, there was recently a case, I think it was a couple of weeks ago where Subway's bread in Ireland can't be considered bread because there's too much sugar in it. So each country has its own regulation as to what can be in food. So I had a bit of an epiphany um, while I was on the franchisee side that I've spent a lot of my time in the food space, whether it's on CPG or on the franchisee side. And that market is very, very small. So there's only certain pockets in the U.S. that I would really be able to live in with that type of skill set. And at the time I was living in South Florida and, you know, in South Florida, there's not a plethora of industries. So it was starting to become a situation where I think I was pigeonholing myself where if I wanted to stay in South Florida and to be able to put down roots, I knew that I needed to expand industries. And then that's how I kind of transitioned to the technology space with the company that I am today starting in procurement. Because if you look at it, there's only, so yes, there are new jobs being created all the time, but there's only so many big industries. So if you're in the CPG space or consumer packaged goods for CPG, you've got a lot of operations in Texas. You've got, you know, the historical operations. If you think back to the industrial revolution, you've got a ton of stuff in the Northeast. So Jersey or Philly, um, you've got the research triangle that has some stuff there. If we're talking about, you know, especially, and I'm thinking of food. So the Carolinas definitely and Virginia, if you're looking at chicken processing. So there's only certain pockets that you can go to. And of course, out West and, and California is quite expensive and maybe the Midwest. So there's only certain pockets as to where you can want to go. And so at some point I said, okay, well, if I want to be flexible to be able to decide to live where I want to live, I need to kind of expand my knowledge base so that people don't discount me based on my experience being in a certain sector. And that's what motivated me to go into the tech space. And I think that's, that's a pretty good overview of me. I love it. Can I just say in that overview now, here's, here's like a wonderful representation of a Hume Fall graduate of FAMU School of Business alumni. You also within that gave us a lesson on the procurement industry. So thank you 
no for problem. that. I love how you also talked about your career transition into technology, because that's something I'm very passionate about. Um, but I wanted to also ask you what exactly attracted you to the idea of living in Ireland? And as an African-American, how have you been able to find and build community there? So until I had moved to Ireland, so I moved here in May of 2018, I had never thought about Ireland until I had started interviewing for this role, which was November of 2017, right? It, it wasn't on my radar. If you look at the, I'll say, black population in Ireland, it's less than 2%. Ireland has less than 5 million people. So when I think about or when I thought about traveling overseas or living overseas, for starters, I wasn't really thinking about it. You know, I have two younger sisters. Uh, My middle sister did a semester or a couple of months in Spain when she was in college. So I thought that was cool. But until the opportunity came up, I hadn't thought about it. Now the opportunity came up and I know a lot of companies do this. And it's really just the question of what your mindset is when you're filling out the application or review form. All companies tend to have talent reviews. And for lack of a better word, a talent review is when your management gets in a room and they just sit around and talk about people like chatty Cathy's. There's usually a review form that we as the employees, we fill it out. What's your strength? What would you like to learn? What would you like to do? And at the time when I'm filling out this form, I'm like, yep, I'll go anywhere. Yep. Open to opportunities because, you know, I'm not doing anything except for working. I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe I could go to California for a bit or to the Northeast for a bit, maybe something in Asia. Um, but I said that I was open to moving, which I think even in my intro, I've lived a lot of places. So nowhere really on the West Coast, because again, the taxes, though in New Jersey, the taxes were quite high, but you know, I'm from Tennessee, went to school in Florida, lived in Pennsylvania um, and New Jersey before moving to South Florida because Tallahassee and South Florida are two different two different places in the world. So I've always been someone where it's never really been an issue for me to move. And going to an HBCU, there's always somebody somewhere that you can find that you can know. Um, so because I filled out my talent review that said, yeah, I'm interested in going anywhere. It came up in the discussion and that role became available. And so when you look at where procurement sits in most organizations, it's under finance because again, we're dealing with money. We're dealing with the budget. We're working on contracts. We're doing negotiations. So it all sits within that finance function. So, and you're working closely with finance to begin with. Uh, so it, it was a bit of, um, it's, it's in the same family, though not necessarily everyone will make that jump. So I liked the idea of living in Ireland because A, I would get international experience. 
And like I said before, where I said to myself, well, I want to get out of the CPG space because that will pigeonhole me. I wanted to explore more than the procurement space at that time because I didn't want to be pigeonholed in that. And the great thing about procurement is there's a ton of jobs. The salaries are amazing in procurement. Pre-COVID, you would travel, you would meet suppliers, you'd get to negotiate. There's a ton of stuff that you get to do. But similar to CPG firms, there's really procurement, big procurement organizations where you would have that salary that you expect in certain pockets. So again, it's about making sure I'm doing things that keep me marketable no matter who I work for. So going back to that, I looked at that and said, okay, this gives me the opportunity to live overseas and I can check that off and that's international experience. And I get the opportunity to learn finance. And with finance, you're supposed to be able to go everywhere because a lot of people don't know sometimes what procurement does. It's not something that you're taught in school. It's just a great job people fall into. And and a ton of people we know from Sam are in procurement, but everybody knows what finance is. So when you look at job markets, because there's always going to be recessions and depressions, I think we're working through one now, you just want to make sure that you're marketable so that you don't constantly have to uproot your family. And and in essence, that's how I ended up here. So I got the opportunity to come and that's when I started looking up Ireland and I found out, okay, so we've got less than 2%. Okay. A population of 5 million. Immediately I thought, who's going to do my hair? Because right now, I don't have a perm. I've been attempting national for a long time, attempting it because I'm not succeeding. Uh, but I thought to myself, <laughs> okay, who's who's going to do my hair? Where am I going to get my spices? How am I going to find my community? And the big thing a lot of people talk about when uh, moving overseas is joining internations. So it's the community of expats. I think there's a there's a fee maybe it's a couple of it's a hundred dollars I think or you can do the free membership you just don't have access to as many things and it's where expats in a community whether it's in Ireland or Singapore get together and connect because though you may not be from the same country you have the shared experience by being an expat somewhere else so I joined that and I met some people and the great thing about Facebook, there's a group, uh, black Americans living abroad and nomadness, which is nomadness is a travel group, but in black Americans living abroad, I met another American here, um, because her husband works over here. And so what a lot of people don't realize a lot of people believe that they need an advanced degree to work overseas. Not really the U.S. for what it will, your tax, your tax paying dollars at work. The U.S. has jobs everywhere. I think the site is usjobs.gov. There, it, you don't need a degree. And, and I say that to say 
when I checked the other day, because someone was trying to move to Ireland, but they didn't have the requirements, US, usjobs.gov, and I'm butchering the name, had jobs for bartenders in London. So there's jobs everywhere. You just have to know where to look. But between um, Black Americans living abroad, Americans everywhere set up a Facebook group. So there's an Americans in Ireland group. Uh, Internations. I started to make my network and community. And I think that's key. The other thing that helped me at the same time that I moved to Ireland, one of my friends and her husband moved to Germany as he's in the military. And there's a huge American population in Germany connected in various ways for the government. So in situations where I would have felt homesick, as crazy as it sounds, I could go to Germany and be in little America because it's nothing but Americans. Like thousands of Americans live in in pockets in Germany close to the Air Force bases. And they even have a PF chain. So it helped having a friend in Germany. It helped joining the Americans in Ireland and group. It helped joining Black Americans uh, who live abroad and, uh, and, and, and joining Internations. Just those are the things that really helped to set up my community. Wow, that's amazing and sounds like some excellent resources. So thank you for sharing those. Now, you, you mentioned that Ireland's population of, of Black people is less than 2%. And I saw that you posted a few weeks ago on social media about the racism that exists there. And so I wanted to ask, what are some of the stereotypes that you've encountered about Black people while living there? And also, how would you compare the racial climate for Black people in Ireland to what we have experienced in America? And then finally, have you personally experienced any racism while living there? So I haven't experienced any racism while living here. And just to elaborate, so a couple of weeks ago, because the people on the podcast won't know, someone had written, I think on one of the bridges, the N-word. So it written nigger. And it was such an odd concept because in America, if, if someone says nigger, I know who they're talking about. But in Ireland, it was perplexing because are you talking about the Nigerians? Do you use the N-word here? It's, it, it, was, it was very confusing. But what it said about and the reason it was posted in the Facebook group, and this was the expat in Dublin's group. So, again, there's a ton of groups in Facebook. You being new to a country could join. The expats in Dublin were heated. They were calling the Garda, which is the police. They were trying to make sure someone could get it cleaned off. I mean, they, and these are not your brown skin expats. These are your fair skin, super bright. I am basically white. I am so upset. I saw this word. I'm going to spring into action. And it, that, that's a good test, a good testament to the Irish population and what you encounter day in and day out that someone, and it could have been someone just being stupid. Well, it was someone being stupid, but that was such an outlier from what Ireland is 
that people immediately jumped into action. I'll give you another example. I had friends in the U.S. when everything happened with George Floyd where they weren't moved or, you know, they were just like, oh, you know, another day, another death. But in Ireland, keep in mind, we have less than 5 million people. There were multiple protests where people walked to this to the city. And when this happened, everything was closed because we were in lockdown during COVID. People made handmade signs for George Floyd, came together, organized, walked from um, the north side to the south side to walk in front of the embassy. There were 5,000 people in this protest. And you're thinking... Uh, it's global. So it's, it's not, it's not something that I ever think about here because the difference is, and and though you have black people, the black people are usually African. I've only ever seen, besides the girl I know, I've I've only ever seen one or two black uh, males. And then there's one other black female. There's a couple here, but it's not enough to start a basketball team. So maybe we're the Jackson five. There's like six ish of us, maybe. Um, so I never, you, so with me being here, I'm an American first, right? So you tend to group people based on where they're from. So I'm an American and then I'm a, yeah, I'm a black American, but I'm still an American first. I think the people who tend to experience the most racism would, or ah, the most prejudice would be Brazilians because a lot of them come over here and I don't want to use a lot because I'm making generalizations, but they have the opportunity to come over here to learn English. And Ireland isn't a big metropolitan area, master of industry type thing because London is right there. Uh, what what attracts people to Ireland are the jobs, the reason the jobs are here. And the reason the jobs are here is because the tax rate is only 13%, the corporate tax rate. So all of the companies are here with Brexit, the country that people are going to in the EU that speaks English is Ireland. So you've got all of these people coming here. And then since you can move freely if you're an EU resident from here to there, it's like moving from Florida to Texas. Everybody is here. So the housing prices are through the roof. Because the housing prices are through the roof, you have people who live in unsafe accommodation. So, and those are usually um, people who tend to get jobs under the table. And that sometimes would be the folks who are doing like the, I would say Deliveroo. So similar to that would be Uber, Uber Eats. Things where it's the gig economy where they can't afford rent and you'll see two or three or four beds in a bedroom that you and I would only have one. So it's not uncommon for people to have not to not only share a place with someone, but to actually share a room. And I think that's what makes when we talk about uh, racism or, or really prejudice, I see the similarities there and here because, uh, how would I put this? 
So th- so four or five hundred years ago, it was manifest destiny was considered okay. It was okay for the European mentality to go to lands off yonder and conquer it and say, "This is mine. I'm going to give you my religion. Take your crap. It's it's my God given right to take it." Okay, valid. But now it's happening in reverse. So now people are starting to migrate to these European predominantly countries. And like most immigrants, regardless of the country, they're going to take jobs that maybe you have decided you don't want. I'm just going to say random person has decided they don't want because that job is beneath them because their parents and grandparents were able to work their way up and become masters of their role without having a college degree and to get a house and to go to school, and that's what they want. They want the same thing. But the reality is with globalization, that world is gone. So the immigrant who's coming in and working the crazy jobs is creating that environment so that their kid can go to school, their kid is the citizen, you know, the value is different. So I come across sometimes this prejudice from... And it's no different than the prejudice that I see sometimes in the States where people will blame the immigrant for, well, the immigrant took my job, but you didn't want to do that job anyways. Well, the immigrant took all of the council housing and council housings are like projects, but you didn't, you didn't go to school. You didn't get a job. You quit your job. You don't have a degree. It's not the same competition. They're doing what they need to do to get the housing assistance, and you haven't. And you'd be surprised at how many people in Ireland actually support President Trump because it's that whole browning of their country that they weren't expecting. I mean, if you look at Ireland 30 years ago, it was a pretty typical makeup of what people look like, but... Corporate taxes are 13%. Apple's here. Facebook's here. Google's here. Every tech company you can think of is here. You've got huge manufacturing and or pharmaceutical country, uh, countries, companies, I think, in Cork or Limerick or Galway. All of these companies are here because people are going to go where the tax rate is low. And because of that, the demographic is changing and people feel upset. So it's not really a racism. It's that why is my country not the way it was 30 years ago when my mom as a hairdresser was able to get housing or projects and we lived there for free. It's not my life anymore. So I think that's really the big standout, but no one is going to see me and spit on the street I'm not afraid to walk around by myself as an African-American woman. You know, for the most part, everyone has been relatively friendly. I don't think I've had an experience where I've had to say to myself, wow, that was racist, which is a bit refreshing. Wow. No, that's incredible to hear for sure. Very encouraging that you haven't actually experienced any racism and also really just fascinating insights about some of the the cultural dynamics that you shared around prejudice there and to hear the momentum 
uh, that you saw around the the George Floyd murder. And so, so with that, you know, when we think about 2020, obviously George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, those are some of the um, major headlines. And then the obvious one, COVID. Can you share, you mentioned it earlier um, as you were kind of sharing a little bit about how uh, they responded in Ireland through the protests, et cetera. But I just wanted to know if you can share a little bit more about what your quarantine experience was like and how COVID has been managed in Ireland and where the nation currently is in terms of reducing the spread of the virus. And then additionally, as an American, what has it been like for you to observe how COVID has been handled in the U.S.? So it's definitely not a was type question. It is a type question. So it's, it's definitely not past tense. It's present tense. So we went back into lockdown on Wednesday. So we will be in lockdown for the next five weeks. And the reason for being, for us being on lockdown, and I'm just kind of pulling up that picture of what our version of lockdown is. We're going to be on lockdown so that we can have Christmas. So there's five love, five stages or levels as to what we consider quarantine. Five being the highest, and we are at level five now. So to put it in perspective, Ireland has less than five million people, and for COVID deaths, we've had 1,870. So, le- so less than 1,900. I looked this up before. When... It started to, well, before it started to get bad, so this was in March, companies began testing their capabilities for people to work from home. You know, does everything work? Tested so we could try to figure out if there are things that people needed to order to be ready. When the news came out, we too had a toilet paper shortage. Everyone ran out and got toilet paper, which is understandable. But we have had, which makes it different than I think the U.S. because nothing in the U.S. really shut down. It's as different as night and day. So our first stage, everything shut down. You could only go, I could only go maybe a mile from my house or two miles from my house. Uh, You could only go to work unless it was essential. You would be stopped on the street. And you needed to have a letter from your employer if you were outside of the boundaries. So malls were closed. Regular shopping stuff was closed. Uh, grocery stores were open. But for the most part, everything shut down. And we've slowly been easing the restrictions. But it never got back to we are on level one. Things are good. We have this requirement that says, or guidance that says self-regulate. So we expected that when people traveled, they were supposed to come back and self-quarantine for 14 days. In Ireland, it's more of suggestions versus requirements. So we still had Americans coming over here. Aer Lingus was still doing flights from America to here, and Americans weren't quarantining. So... There was a lot of upset in the papers and on the radios about the fact that we've been shut down. And this is when we had started to ease restrictions. 
we have been shut down, but we're just letting tourists come in and do whatever. So that was a really big pain point for people. But because our cases were higher than they liked, we have now gone back into level five. So this is just high level as to what level five is. I can't have any visitors to my house. I know you had mentioned getting together with some friends. I I can't. I can't have any visitors to my house. I can't meet up with anyone, like a group of people, unless I'm going to a wedding or funeral. And if I'm going to a wedding, up to six people can attend. There's no indoor gatherings. There's no outdoor gatherings. Gyms are closed. Um, restaurants are closed unless it's delivery or takeaway home. You need to stay home except for exercise. And that needs to be within three kilometers. Avoid public transport because they want to keep public transport open. So for the most part, you can't really go anywhere. Um, which has been interesting. Now they've introduced this thing called bubbles for people who live alone, that you can meet with another household because for your mental health, they know that it's not good for people to be alone. So they've established what those bubbles are. So if you're sharing custody of your kid with your, with your spouse and it's, or ex-spouse or ex-partner, and that person is greater than three miles, of course you're allowed to take the kid to see each other and your ex-partner becomes part of your bubble. Um, you can meet with another family, but that only that family can be your bubble. You're not allowed to have two bubbles. So since I live alone, I can only have one other household as my bubble. That's it. I'm not supposed to have two to three households, four to five. I can only have one bubble. And so... So single parents, those who are sharing parenting or custody arrangements, those who live with a partner who has dementia, those who live alone, because their goal is to ensure you have somebody to talk to. And it's going to be like this the next six weeks. And since it went into effect on Wednesday or Thursday, Thursday, I think it went into effect, there was this mad rush of people running and doing their Christmas shopping and getting their snacks and stuff because in essence, everything is closed. And a lot of industries, because our approach is the complete difference of the, of the U S the U S is state by state, county by county, but still pretty broad. There's, there are a lot of businesses or industries. I don't know how they're going to come back. We canceled St. St. Patty's day. Uh, Bars that don't serve food haven't really been open since March and they may not open until December. So we're starting to get some pushback now of, cause you've got anti-maskers and anti-vax people, no matter where you live. So we're starting to get some pushback now, especially since we're rolling out fines. So a fine would be 500 euros if you don't wear your mask when where you're supposed to wear your mask or um, a thousand euros if you have a house party because you had people and by people, I mean, the younger kids who don't really, who don't really get it that were having parties during, during COVID 
keeping the numbers high. So they take it really seriously. And it's interesting in Europe, not even just Ireland, how serious people take it. You know, if you exclude the UK and it's weird herd immunity theory, most of Europe seems to be unified of things that we need to do to stop the spread of COVID. It's no different than when flu first came. When the flu is, people don't think a lot about the flu today because we've had it for a hundred years. But when the flu first came out, thousands of people died, if not millions of people died. And we were doing the exact same thing. So it's crazy how much we haven't learned when history basically told us everything we needed to do. Exactly. Yeah, I, 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 I will say it's interesting to hear um, that you all are going back into lockdown. I mean, I, I definitely respect it. I just know that, as you mentioned, living in the U.S. and the way that the virus has been managed by state, county, et cetera, that overall it sounds like there is not currently any intention to put us back into a lockdown state, which would obviously definitely help to slow the spread. And just to give a little context to my listeners, since you talked about like uh, when your lockdown just recently started and how long it's supposed to last. So right now we're recording in October. This episode will air in November. So uh, by the time this episode airs, you you might be closer to um, being at the end of your quarantine and uh, lockdown period. And I think, too, that a lot of times, you know, here, again, because of the infrastructures and there being uh, a a lack of accountability uh, in, in many places, I mean, in my county, they do still require a mask to be worn. And many of the businesses, like your grocery shopping, major retailers, your Target, your Publix, et cetera, it is required for those establishments. But uh, recently, the governor of Florida actually put us at a phase three when the science does not support it. So as individuals, you know, we're having to use wisdom and, you know, quarantine like myself. I I try to quarantine for a good portion of the week beyond doing like my walks, et cetera, but, you know, and grocery shopping, those kinds of things. But even then I try to kind of like plot it out so I don't have to go out, you know, too much throughout the week, maybe only once or twice a week. So it's it's nice to hear that you live in a place where they are taking it uh, seriously and and taking those precautions, even going to like in the U.S., it would be considered, quote unquote, extreme to go back into lockdown. But I definitely, you know, can can see some of the value in it, especially with this next wave. Like you said, the flu, it's been around a long time now, but there are, you know, there's still a lot around how the coronavirus will impact this upcoming flu season as well. So And to your point, just to clarify, so our lockdown is lasting six weeks, so it's going to end December 1st. It started Wednesday the 21st, and so that for them is taking us from Wednesday the 21st to Tuesday the 1st. We're the first country in Europe to reimpose the lockdown. Uh, So Spain and Italy were were more strict in the beginning with certain things. 
Sweden didn't lock down anything at all, and their cases, I think, have been quite low. Um, but they made the decision, we'll lock down now so that we'll have Christmas. But other countries, the cases are starting to spike. I know in Germany, the cases are going up. I, I could potentially see other countries doing something similar, but I don't know people's appetite to do this again. Uh, you know, it's really hard that first season or the first, first session where you can't visit anyone in the hospital. You can't have visitors um, in the, they say care homes, but the retirement homes, you can't, you can't have visitors. If your grandparents or aunts or uncles are sick or ill, you, you can't see them. And so imagine what that does to someone who is a little unwell that nobody can come and see you and cheer you up. I I can definitely see there being some long-term mental effects, and I don't know how they go about weighing the pros and cons of lockdown versus not lockdown, but at the end of the day, we're an island. So if it rages the island, then, you know, we're basically out of luck. Right. And it, and it, I think too, it's nice that they are providing, I would say to some extent, like an incentive, like we're reinstituting it, but like, here is why. And also to just another note, obviously this is pre the uh, election. So, after November 3rd, who knows uh, where, you know, where we'll be in terms of the way that the, the virus is being handled. So I guess we'll just have to stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So transitioning a little bit, then what would you say has been your most rewarding experience living in Ireland and also what has been your most challenging experience? So whew, I would say... My most rewarding experience was not giving up because it's it's so new. Everything is completely different. You are far away from everyone. It's a different time zone. You're learning something new. And so the fact that I've been here to and I have years, and I would say I'm a better person for it, uh, I, w- I would say is the most rewarding. Yeah, I, good and bad, I don't think I would change. And this is because you're asking me today. I don't think I would change my decision if you asked me today to come. So that is the most rewarding thing. The most challenging experience. Uh, well, the most interesting, challenging experience is just general appliances. So in the U.S., you know, we say Texas, everything is bigger than, and better, but that's in general with all appliances. So learning how to work the small washer-dryer combo, the teeny tiny fridges, there's a boost button you push, a button you push if you want your hot water to be really hot. So navigating that silly stuff like Celsius versus uh, Fahrenheit would probably be some of the most challenging things. And then I think I mentioned earlier, just like who's going to do my hair, spending that time within an HBCU and then having those connections everywhere 
where even though you're in predominantly white spaces, you've got your network to go to versus being here where there really is no network. There's only a small group of people who are like me, whereas in the U.S. there are multiple people like me. But then when you go to other pockets in Europe, such as the U.K. or, as I mentioned, Germany, because there are all of the Americans there, there's a ton of there's a ton of me's there. But then you have to weigh, well, why did you go overseas? Are you looking to go overseas with a ton of people like you? Then you can just stay in Miami. So it's hard kind of balancing that wanting the safe connection of things you know and unique experiences with being in a whole new world. And so you mentioned Germany, which you were able to kind of find like that second home in that community there. Are there any other nations that you've traveled to since you've moved abroad? And what are some of your favorite places that you visit? Uh, so where have I been? Uh, so, of course, the UK, my parents came over. Uh, <laughs> so they came over last year. So we went to the um, we went to London and, of course, here. Uh, I've been to Germany a lot, Italy, uh, Amsterdam. Where else have I been recently? But I was coming you know, with flights being as cheap as they were in the U.S. I was traveling internationally before. So I, I want to say I've done just as much traveling being here as I did in the U S because there are all of the crazy flight deals. I mean, I went to, went to Tanzania and Kenya from the U S for $400 on that flight deal. So, I mean, I've been to France though. I'm, I'm France. I think it's just okay. I've been to Switzerland, Germany. So I have not been to Spain and Portugal yet, which is on my list. There's a couple of other places I want to go to. So I, I was supposed to go to Denmark, but then we had COVID happen. So there's a couple of things I'd like to do before I move back. But that's all dependent upon how the COVID cookie crumbles. Right. Yeah, I think 2020 has pretty much taught us all to, to you know, cancel your plans and just mm-hmm. <laughs> be flexible, uh, be open to, to what the future holds. So what would you say you've learned about yourself while living abroad? That I'm stronger than I realize, and I can probably do anything that I put my mind to as long as I check my fear at the door. So if you, so since you're stronger than you realized, I like to say that all Black women are magical superheroes. So what do you believe your superpower is, and how was it strengthened during your time living abroad? So I think my superpower would be perseverance, right? Because it's very easy to say, oh my gosh, I don't like this. This is too difficult. This is too complicated. I'm confused. I'm scared. I'm lonely. I miss people and just turn around and go home. But for me, it's perseverance because no experience will get the best of me. I will get the best of the experience. So even on the challenging days, and it rains, it rains a lot here. And and it rains in South Florida, but when it rains in South Florida, it's sunny, it's warm, you've got an ocean breeze coming over you, the humidity's making your hair crazy. But here, 
you have days without the sun and you know, you got a lot of rain. It rains all the time and the wind is crazy. Um, but I would not change the experience. So I think you can have all of the smarts in the world. You could be really intelligent. You can have connections, but if you don't have that drive or the ability to persevere, you're not going to get anywhere. And I think even if I didn't have perseverance before, this is going back to college, nothing gives you the strength to wait, to not give up, like standing in a financial aid line. And so (laughs) if you can master standing in a financial aid line to get the check you are going to pay your interest on months after FSU got their money, There's no reason to give up. There's no reason that you can't stand in line and vote. There's no reason that you can't take this course or go back to school or learn a new skill. That is, I think, most Black women's superpower. It's perseverance. We don't give up, ever. We never let anything go. Amen. (laughs) Amen, amen, amen. Uh, Do you have any specific advice that you would give to Black women about living or traveling abroad? So for traveling abroad, definitely just do it. Don't necessarily wait on people who want to do it with you. It is okay to travel alone. So for instance, one year, I think I went to Amsterdam for my birthday. I went by myself met a very lovely woman from New Jersey. We did a whole tour, the Red Lake District. It was, you know, it was fun. You can be, oh, and and we even ran into Bill Clinton. He was, you know, not in the Red Light District. He was at the hotel we were. So, you know, I don't want you guys to get any bad impressions about our former president. But feeling as if you have to have a plus one to do something is going to keep you from where you should be. So, nothing should stop you. So I think the first thing or the advice I would give to someone is check your fear at the door and just go. And by just go, I don't necessarily mean hop on a plane and just go do some research, see if the place is safe, check some of the travel groups, build your itinerary and just, just do it. Don't wait on anyone else. It's, you're really interested in working overseas and maybe you don't have that degree, look to see what roles the U.S. government is hiring for. Again, your tax dollars fund all of this. This is where some of your money goes. I don't know why we need a bartender and it was more than one bartender role. I don't know why they need bartenders in London, but they do probably to manage the London P.F. Chang's. But the U.S. government is everywhere. U.S. operations are everywhere. So if working overseas is that is what you want to do, um, check it. I'd say focus on experiences versus uh, material things because your experiences are going to be the things that sustain you. I mean, you could have a nice car, but with COVID, you can't go anywhere. But you could have memories of going somewhere nice and beautiful and laying on the beach. And I think that's it. I'm just trying to think about living abroad, making sure 
you're okay with establishing networks with non-Americans. Find that unique identifier or that unique experience that you have with other expats because you're moving abroad not to live in a little America somewhere else, but to immerse yourself in the culture and get to know people. I love that. I I think, too, that, you know, right now, obviously, we can't uh, travel abroad in the U.S., uh, but... I you shouldn't travel abroad in the U.S. However, people do still travel abroad. I see plenty of posts <laughs> of people going to Jamaica and DR and running their cases up. Well, and, uh, you know, and I saw a video, though, I, I, specifically about uh, the Caribbean and how, you know, how this was early on, like in the summertime, but how they were, you know, managing the travel, et cetera. Uh, so, um, and that they were basically the point of this video it was a, it was a black couple that was sharing how like seriously they were taking it and all the, the different checkpoints. So, uh, but in general, um, in terms of travel, you know, I, I was just going to say that I think, that it's important to, like you said, right now, maybe plot out some of those places that you would like like to go and start kind of doing that research now so that when the, the borders do open up again for us, um, that you can, you know, start exploring some of those places either solo, as you mentioned, or uh, with family and friends. Like you said, I think 2020 has also really taught us to just appreciate experiences and um, to, to treasure those moments, treasure those relationships, your family, your friends, and, uh, and also the value of your time. Even if you're not able to connect with people in person right now, but, you know, those phone calls and those Zoom calls and, and, and all of those uh, experiences that we can have to connect to one another until we can be uh, together in person again. And I also have to ask you, since you mentioned it a couple of times earlier and you were talking about like your hair and like how, so how is that going for you? <laughs> like how, who, who is doing your hair? What's, what's happening with that? So right now me, uh, so part of the bulk of the year, the hairdressers have been closed. They reopened for a short period, but there was not enough space in the place for me to go back. So at the time I was getting uh, the crochet braids and I was about to start going to London because when we talk about connections everywhere, so a friend of mine from FAM, her roommate went to Florida State, who's from Miami. Her friend and wife just moved from London to here. Uh, so, you know, that's how I've got the Jackson 5 number of black people in uh, Ireland because I'm going to count her, her husband, and, and the baby. But she had given me a list of hairdressers in London. So right before COVID happened, you know, I came back from Christmas, got my hair done. I was going to start going to London, but then COVID happened. So I, I've been doing my hair myself and attempting to trim my hair myself. And it occurred to me the other day, I have trimmed too much on the uh <laughs> on the right side so when i do get home and see my hairdresser i think he will curse me and cut off the majority of my hair to even it up so you know it's been an experience <laughs> i have learned i can't cut my trim my own ends so yeah that's that's what's going on there <laughs> yeah. but as but as you mentioned you know still not 
allowing that to hold you back. It is, you know, definitely a question and something that, you know, we as black women, one of my earlier episodes of the podcast during the first season, we really dove into just like the standard of beauty and specifically it, the first season was celebrating the women of Wakanda. And so the name of that episode was called bald is beautiful. Oh. And we, and we dove into, you know, the beautiful hairstyles and the, the diversity in hairstyles that were presented in Wakanda and also even just like the bald head and really changing that narrative and that standard of beauty as well. So all of that being said, you know, it's, I'll put it this way, our hair is something that is very important to us as yeah. Black women. And, um, and so, yeah, so it's just kind of interesting to hear how uh, different women are able to, to manage it uh, abroad. And even, you know, just for myself, like, again, being in quarantine, I, I normally do my hair for the most part anyway, but just even the different like new products, et cetera, that I found myself like, because I have the time, because I'm not really going as many places like, okay, well, let me see how this works or that works. And, you know, so yeah, definitely um, a very uh, important aspect of our culture as black women and something that, you know, makes us unique. So the final thing that, uh, that I would like to discuss with you as far as Ireland is concerned is actually it's a little game um, that I'm calling a few of my favorite things, Ireland edition. Okay. So I'm going to just like throw out a, a word or a phrase, and then you can tell me what is your like favorite um, category of that in Ireland. So food. Ooh, ooh. Ah, pork belly. I'm sorry, say it again. Pork belly. Oh, pork belly, pork belly. Okay, awesome. See, I love fish and chips there. I mean, I haven't had, you know, I haven't had the authentic, like, Ireland ones. But, of course, there are places here in the U.S. that boast of, of serving no, the no, Irish no, let me, chips. Let me, let, me, let me tell you why you don't want fish and chips. Okay, so I please. moved here, was really excited. One of my friends came over and I had asked my boss at the time, where do we go for fish and chips? And he recommended this place. And my friend and I went and it was the most bland food I had ever had in my life. It's like, it, it looked great. The batter was, batter was nice and crispy. I knew it was about to be perfect no seasoning, none. And I get back to work that Monday and I say to my boss, you know, um, yeah, um, there was no seasoning on the food. He, and what, what, what's that about? There's no seasoning. And he said, you don't need seasoning for fish and chips. All you just need is salt and oil afterwards. And my mind was blown because it never occurred to me that the definition of fish and chips meant no seasoning. And I saw this again when I've had friends come over, my parents came over, and I'm like, mm, that ain't what you want. And then they have <laughs> it, and then they're like, ooh, there's nothing on it exactly. So their version of fish and chips is, you know, the batter is supposed to be rich, and it looks like the fish and chips that we're used to, but the fish and chips that we're used to has been Americanized. I mean, again, we're a nation of high blood pressure, but you want... <laughs> Our fish and chips versus their fish and chips. Hands down. Gotcha. 
<laughs> that is great to know. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it to yourself. <laughs> okay. What is your favorite Irish beverage? Irish beverage? Uh, so if I had to pick an Irish beverage, I guess I would say Jameson because I don't like Guinness at all, though I will tour the factory when people come. Gotcha. And what's your favorite Irish phrase? Uh, so slancha is cheers. I'm trying to think of other ones that would be appropriate for, uh, the uh, podcast. Yes. Yes. So aside <laughs> well, from, well, aside from slancha, which is cheers, everybody always says it's grand. How's your day? It's grand. Your mom died. <laughs> it's grand. Your daughter's sick. It's grand. You want to raise? It's grand. So it's everything is grand. So grand and slancha would be the two phrases. So it's grand kind of sounds like to me, the equivalent of just like good here in the U S like, uh, even if something is bad, it's still, it's grand. You got, you all you got laid <laughs> oh, off from okay, your job you. today. It's grand. It, everything is, it's grand. Gotcha. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. What is your favorite Irish place? Favorite Irish place. Um, there's this restaurant called Fire I like because they have a ribeye that's not aged. And then there is this grocery store lots that's right by my house. And so they'll occasionally have some American items. It's like a, it's like a mini fresh market, but nothing is, nothing is like fresh market. So I go there to get my little knickknacks and you know, my favorite places tend to be food related because I like to eat. So <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Okay. What is your favorite cultural element? Cultural element. Uh, so the Irish are stereotypically known as being super friendly, which I would say is what I like the most. Everyone here that I've come across is friendly helpful, for the most part, kind, giving. So I would definitely say that that is a true stereotype. And I think that's just part of the Irish culture. Nice. Okay. Uh, here's my last one. And this is a fill in the blank. If you come to visit Ireland, you have to If you come to visit Ireland, well, of course, you have to go to the Guinness factory. You have to do the double-decker bus. Um, You have to go down grafton and do the famous streets you have to go to the pubs because ireland is a big uh pub culture and you have to learn about the history so don't just come and be a tourist and drink and party but learn what makes ireland ireland i mean they they are really a nation of they're the original expats there are irish people everywhere i mean you look in the u.s if you look at how many St. Patty's Day parties we have in the U.S., it's because 
the Irish are everywhere. So don't just learn about the drinking part of the history. Learn the true history. I love that. And I'm also glad that you suggested a double-decker bus because I love a double-decker bus tour. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things to do in, you know, when exploring cities. In addition to also, I love like bike riding, et cetera, too. But no, that sounds, sounds really awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, there's a ton of that stuff to do here. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today about Ireland and just bringing a really um, interesting, unique perspective to what your experience has been as a brown girl living abroad. And I celebrate you, applaud you, and look forward to chatting with you again soon. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Brown Girl Radiance podcast, please share it with a friend so that we can continue to celebrate and shine together. Brown Girl Radiance podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, CastBox, iHeartRadio, and Pandora. If you want to stay connected to Brown Girl Radiance Podcast, you can follow me on Instagram at Brown Girl Radiance Podcast. You can feel free to email me at Brown Girl Radiance Podcast at gmail.com.